Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and we're two card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Hello. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. What's up? Happy Tuesday. Um, I'm feeling really sexy. You're feeling really sexy? I don't know why I'm doing that voice. Okay. I'm just... I just started like this, so I will continue. Well, you mentioned wine there. Have you already opened it? No, I haven't. Oh, God, you're already in the mood. Jesus. Yeah, I'm Should in a throw wine. a bucket of icy water on Emma, quick. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood for wine. In the mood for sure. something. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I have my second COVID, COVID vaccine. COVID vaccine. COVID? COVID. <laughs> I've been COVID. Oh my god! Yeah, um, so I'm actually yes, not moving for a lot. When was that again? Um, it was on Friday. Yeah, and you didn't feel any any weirdness afterwards, did you? I did a bit on Saturday. Oh, did you? Yeah, I got the shivers, and also mm. I started spotting. Oh yeah. Oh god! I know. I was really like, what? Yeah. Um, well, it's very I, hormonal, isn't it? It's um. Is it? It has an impact on your hormones, yeah. Yeah, I think it does. But um, not fertility, just to like, ah, be clear about Yes, that. of course. It doesn't yeah, have yeah, an impact but... on your fertility. But it did make me bleed a bit, so that was quite interesting. Or maybe it didn't make me bleed a bit, because as we know, correlation is not causation. Um, it could be that I just started spotting, but I haven't spotted for a really long time. So, yeah, interesting... That is interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Didn't someone say in an interview, they were like, um, if it does impact your fertility, it would only be for like one cycle. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Your because your hormones can fluctuate. Yeah. And I think it does, it does impact men's, not, sorry, the vaccine doesn't, COVID itself does impact men's sperm health. Mm, yeah. Um, but I think it's, they've kind of found that it's for, a, it's not for a prolonged period. It's for a kind of... A small amount of time, like a few months. Well, okay, so it's like what? Because you've got three months, haven't you? Yeah, and then you, your sperm yeah. regenerates again. So oh, you're such a sperm months. expert. Oh, I mean, they don't call me the sperm woman for nothing. <laughs> Do they call you the sperm woman? No, what no one. No one has ever called me the sperm woman. Here comes the sperm woman. Floating the idea myself. <laughs> I don't think that you should be called the sperm woman. <laughs> Here she comes, <laughs> Jizzy McGee. 
Jizzy McGee. <laughs> Jizzy G. Oh Jizzy my G. god. <laughs> call me Jizzy G. <laughs> now that that's what we're gonna call you. It's a much better name. Oh dear. I do actually have um I've got some Jizzy plans coming up you actually, do. which I haven't um revealed yet. But yeah. um so yeah, maybe that's gonna be my my Jizzy G would be the, the name. Well, I'm looking forward to that because there's a logo. Yes, there is a logo. Guys, I'm going to do some um, sperm content on my Instagram. Yeah. Um, and, but I'm not sure when is the problem. I think probably September, but I will all will be revealed very yeah. soon. Just to be very clear after that, like yeah. <laughs> in summary of that conversation, there's no studies showing that, that the COVID vaccine has an impact on fertility. There are studies showing that COVID itself has an impact on male fertility. For a short period. For a short period. Okay. Glad to get, glad to get that covered up. That's now off my chest. Um, I, I actually wanted to talk about something very briefly today, which is, um, did you know that this weekend was the 101st birthday of a woman called Henrietta Lacks? No. No. I didn't know anything about her. And then I saw... Um, Broken Brown Egg, who we've interviewed before, yeah, talk about it. And it's like an amazing story. Basically, it was like 6am and I just got obsessed with the Wikipedia page and then started reading all about it. But she was a woman in um, the 1950s who got cervical cancer and she had samples of her cells taken from her body. Um, as, look, she was biopsied as people with cancer are. Mm-hmm. But um, um, the biopsy was then taken and um, they found that her, that her cells were basically amazing at reproducing and staying alive for a very long time. And um, they, they've been described as immortal cells. Wow. Jesus. And they grew them in Petri dishes and they're called Heller cells and they're still used today um, without her permission at all, which is the, the oh. kind of insane part of this story. Um, and they've informed a whole load of medical research, but one of the parts of medical research that they've informed is IVF. Um, and I would just, firstly, happy birthday, Henrietta. Um, is she still alive? No, she died of cancer aged 30, I think like in her early thirties. It's a really sad story. Um, and her, you know, her family has taken years to kind of get the kind of the recognition that it deserves or that she deserves for her um but it's just a, it's just an amazing story and worth a google it's incredible and, i'm absolutely yeah. looking at this wikipedia page and see as i get off the phone yeah don't phone? get so on, on, the, on the, are we on the phone we're not looking at each other no sadly um yeah so i just wanted to talk about henrietta because she is a woman who deserves a bit of recognition well and it's her 101st birthday and let's just all celebrate by googling her what a ledge yeah absolutely right thanks for bringing this to everyone's attention and mine okay um (laughs) should we talk about the show yeah let's do it um today we are interviewing krina diman and actually she's talking about cancer too she is talking about cancer yeah among among a lot of other things like this woman has an amazing story Uh uh-huh um so she talked about cancer she talked about heart failure yeah. And she talked about having multiple children via surrogacy. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an amazing story. Uh, she, she hosts a, or co-hosts a surrogacy podcast called The Intended Parent, mm-hmm. 
which is a um it's on all good podcast platforms and you can find out more on instagram at at the intended parent yeah she's really really lovely as well yeah she's really lovely and because she was so lovely and her story is so amazing has so many twists and turns i kind of did very little editing on it long yeah which means it's really long but i mean it's definitely worth a listen yeah for sure man before that liz is on the line Liz is on the line. Um, she, uh, first of all, sounds like there's an orchestra in the background. Like, I love the emotional places she takes us. She really does. For anyone who's um, not listened to this before, Liz is our um, BFN Agony Aunt, mm-hmm. um, who is answering your deepest, darkest emotional um, infertility questions yeah. at the proms. Yeah. Um, so the, the the person whose question she's answering has had a really hard year okay. and, and is saying, how do you keep going doing fertility treatment? Mm, good question. So I think it's, question. A, it's one for us all to listen to, yeah. frankly. <laughs> she's not going to answer that one, surely. How is Liz going to answer that? Sure she finds a way. <laughs> she is good. She is good. When you're good, you're good. What when can you're we good, say? you're good. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah, that's it, guys. Mm-hmm enjoy the show yeah and um while you're enjoying the show mm-hmm. please rate and review it because it helps please. other people to find it please do in the meantime you can also find us on instagram at big fat negative and twitter at big fat negative and by the way i do have twitter in front of me all day so if anybody wants to tweet and like have a chat please do because you know sometimes i just want to tweet all day yeah emma loves a tweet yeah you, especially if anyone wants twitter. to talk about love island Oh my god, I want to fucking talk about Love Island. Yeah. Um I've got a lot of thoughts on that. And if anybody wants to tweet at Big Fat Negative about their thoughts on Love Island, then just I'm there. <laughs> I mean that is a definitely uh, off topic subject for our for our Twitter, but yeah. I suppose fuck it. It's an opening. Well no, because I want to get involved and I'm never on Twitter. <laughs> so if we're doing any Love Island chat, can it happen on Instagram? Because then I will be there. Sure. Maybe we should do a show. We should do an Instagram live about any, Love Island. If there are any Love Island people who listen to us, we'd love to hear you. Oh my God, story. yeah. Have you been on Love Island? Yeah. Are you now struggling with your fertility? We'll talk about fertility Please. for maybe four minutes and then yeah. the rest of the time we'll be talking about Love Island. Do you know what I was thinking the other day? I really want to know how it works. Like, yeah. I want to speak to someone who is behind the scenes on Love Island who can tell me like exactly what's going on i've actually got a connection do you yeah huh. i've got no it's like a, it's like a friend <laughs> of a friend <laughs> we should make a love island podcast oh i mean we really shouldn't i'm definitely not an expert enough i'm just i just i just love it and it really interests me anyway um sorry can, guys that's a big digression <laughs> can people email us yeah yeah please email us bigfatnegativepodcast at gmail.com uh-huh and and also please pre-order our book it's out in oh, january it's such a good book it's such a good, such book. A good book and it's got a lovely yeah. cover it's got a lovely cover i think it would look really nice in anyone's house yeah i think and it if would. you don't like how it looks you can turn it round like they do on instagram yeah. and like and then the, the like white pages will work well with your neutral oh, do they decor do that on instagram do they yeah loads of people do that oh, no, i've got a new room to decorate maybe i'll oh, try yeah. a bit of backwards yeah mm. Loads of turned around books, so you can't tell what's... Is, 
isn't the joy of having a bookshelf showing off how clever you are by looking at your books yeah and like how great you are for pre-ordering the bfn book exactly you don't want to hide that shit yeah anyway um we'll catch you on the other side flip side hello me again how are you all hope i hope that you're all well um this week we've been written to all the way from new zealand and uh, this lady's given us a little bit of background on her story and unfortunately following some tests they discovered that her partner um was born with a, an extremely rare condition that has impacted on his sperm um, and, you know, she goes on to say that they were very, very fortunate because her partner's brother has agreed to be their sperm donor. Um, and in addition to that, they have been given um, a series of IUI rounds and an IVF round um, with uh, with the benefit of public funding. Now, they've had two failed IUI rounds and they're about to start on their third. And she writes... I know that there are many, many ways in which we are incredibly lucky. There's been a clear issue to diagnose. My partner has a loving brother who instantly agreed to be our donor. We have public funding for now. I'm 35 and so in theory have a bit of time. But, and this has prompted my question, I'm really struggling with the fact that we've had two failed rounds and I'm finding it hard to keep myself going. I have quite a high pressure job and almost every area of our lives is under major strain. Unexpected house renovations, my partner's dad is in hospital, my partner is a doctor and has big exams coming up this year and it feels like we're under siege. So I'm wondering if you have any tips on how to keep positive, how to keep going and not let infertility cloud every aspect of your life. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that you're going through such a difficult time at the moment and with so many things going on and a pandemic on top of on top of that I cannot imagine um, I mean there's been so many of us who've gone through treatment during this really really tough time um, and you know that's if those of us who don't have all of the other things that you that you've um, experiencing as well so tips to keep positive wow I mean as we know I'm not much of a positive Pam um but what i will say and the one thing that has kept nick and i going through this through our entire journey if you will is that we just laugh with each other often we just laugh at the absolute ridiculousness of the situation that we find ourselves in we like you have had house renovations going on nick's actually currently uh, revising for some exams that he's about to sit which are you know a big deal for him so I, I totally understand how you're feeling in terms of just feeling as though everything is just going on at once and it's very it's so difficult to just keep going keep putting one foot in front of the other um i suppose on the one hand it's a bit of a you know british keep calm and carry on type job isn't it really which is don't get me wrong that's not my advice um you know everyone a lot of us go for that sort of step step <laughs> stiff upper lip because it's 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 almost like once you acknowledge how hard it is you start to not shut down but 
to to see that all to see all the mud I don't even know if that makes sense but you know when you're just wading through this shit show and if you don't acknowledge it it's almost like I can keep going I can keep going I can keep going but once you do recognize it and it sounds to me that you have very bravely said you know what this is a lot um you then kind of have to make that decision as to what to do I mean I, I don't know whether or not you've considered delaying things is that an option um it may not be I know you said you're 35 so you may be concerned about that um you know I'm assuming that you've had tests on yourself and so there's no there's no concerns around your egg quality um or anything like that like that which is which is brilliant um I wonder whether or not, yeah, is there anything that you can do to give yourself a bit of breathing space? Have you thought about speaking to your clinic, speaking to your practitioners to see whether or not there is anything that they can advise in terms of being able to take some of that away? Because it sounds to me that a lot of the other things that are going on are things that you have limited control over. Um, you know, the, the sort of stressful, high pressure job, um, my sister is, you know, a corporate solicitor. Often she has kind of client demands and things on her time, which is very much, you know, out of her control. So she's, her responsibility is to deliver. I don't know if you're in a similar situation. I suspect that you probably are. Um, your partner sounds as though he's not able really to delay his exams because he wants to get those um you know out of the way which I completely understand and obviously with house renovations and all those sorts of things you kind of I guess you have to make the decision that maybe something's got to give just for the minute have you spoken with your partner about whether or not there's anything that you can do in terms of delaying treatment is that something that you would be prepared to consider or do you just want to get it out the way um I mean, those are just some sort of thoughts, which is not really the, the question that, you, that you've asked me. You've asked me about staying positive and keeping going. Um, yeah, and, and as cheesy as it sounds, my one tip would be laughter. Because and that's, that is 100%. Being able to laugh with each other and also being able to talk with each other. Like we have had, especially since starting the podcast or thinking about being involved in the podcast... We have had so many more honest conversations with each other about how we kind of truly feel about IVF and, and everything that's going on. So I think that's the other thing is having those discussions, having those conversations. If you can, if you've got time, if you've got the space, if you're both receptive to it. And if you're not, find your tribe. Like, do you have friends that you are able to confide in, you're able to speak to, and you are able to lean on for advice, for guidance, for support? Because sometimes you almost need to lean on each other, be that your partner or be that, you know, some close friends and family in order to just help you to kind of get over the line. 
it's just so difficult though isn't it and it's such a personal experience and you you know I don't know about you but I always felt very under pressure because you know I'm getting older I'm 30 I was thinking about this earlier I'm 38 this year that's horrific I mean it's not because you know if it wasn't for IVF I don't think I would be even worrying about my age um but it, you do feel very pressured, I think, to, to sort of keep pushing through with things. Um, and and maybe that pressure doesn't have to be there. So is it worth having conversations with medical professionals to find out whether or not there are alternatives um, instead of pushing on with treatment? Or does the funding have a sort of specific um, deadline? In which case, is that a benefit? Because you know when something's going to end it's almost like you just have to push through to get to this point and then you know it's you, you know that the pressure lifts and eases um but yeah laugh with each other speak to each other and enjoy your time together because it sounds as though you're both exceptionally busy with work with family with house renovations do you have time together how much time do you spend together can you um you know can you sort of take time away to just appreciate being with each other and the life that you currently currently have and currently enjoy although it does sound very stressful (laughs) but also if by delaying your next IUI you can have a bit of a break from IVF will that help you to clear your mind and get that strength to keep going I don't know it's just a thought anyway but I I just I'm sending you so much strength and I I really I really hope that something breaks for you guys because it sounds as though there are a lot of balls in the air right now and maybe it is worth having that conversation to see if something can just temporarily be put on the back burner um but you know in any in any regard just talk to each other be honest talk to each other about your fears talk to each other about your your dreams your aspirations how you want this to go and figure out a way forward between the two of you because you are a partnership and he's there to support you just as much as you're there to support him. And I hope that you take great care of each other and sending you lots of love. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Karina. Hello. Hello. Right, let's let's start this by asking you the classic question. Karina, tell us about your journey. <laughs> it's a super long journey. Um <laughs> and I'll try my best to keep it brief. But I guess um, you know, the the, the highlights of my, my journey, um, if I was doing like a a ten minute a summary of it is that in uh, 2013 um, at the age of 33 I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, mm. and that came you know obviously that comes with a massive story of its own that that, that anyone can listen to on on various other podcasts but the, mm-hmm. the sort of the most sort of one of the biggest life-affecting parts of that cancer diagnosis aside from the cancer itself um, was I guess, an introduction into infertility for me. Um, And, you know, I sat in my oncologist's room just before having chemotherapy and he told me that, you know, the the drugs I was about to have would potentially damage my ovaries and affect my ability to have children in the future. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, very quickly asked how how I felt about parenthood. And, you know, I'm South Asian. I don't think it had ever, ever crossed my mind to to not be a mum I you know I, yeah. I, I was probably one of those people who pushed a child around in a pushchair from you know a really young age and continued to do it you know through my teenage years for my younger cousins and constantly constantly thought about motherhood and when 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 that would happen for me so you know as soon as he asked me the question I you know I, there was no hesitation I, I was married and my husband and I both expected to be parents at a point in the future so you know I said to him look it's really important um that 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 motherhood is an option for me if I survive cancer yeah and you know he sort of gave me options on drugs that could help protect my fertility but would not give any guarantee and at that point in time I think I was quite naive when it came to the world of motherhood I might my conceptions of motherhood were very much a husband and a wife use their sperm and their egg to create a baby that, mm-hmm. that was all I was aware of, you know, and that's all my community ever spoke of. There was never talk of alternate routes to parenthood. So for yeah. me, I said to him, look, I really want to harvest my eggs and create these embryos for, for future use. If, you know, if we survive this, that's that's sort of my insurance policy. Mm-hmm. And he quite um, crudely said to me, you know, Karina, my job here is to save your life, not to create a new life. And um <laughs> Wow. That those words will never leave me because, yeah, that's that 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 was his view on 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 me looking to preserve my fertility. But 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 sort of I just pushed and said, look, is there a way of doing this without, 
you know, too high a risk to my own life and my health and well-being. And and he said, look, that we do have options. Um, mm. You can go through IVF. I'll give you 14 days to go through, you know, an egg stimulation process and collect whatever is available. And after that, wow. you know, that's it. You're in the chemo chair. So, so wow. that's how, yeah. So that's how my own IVF journey sort of began and, and played out. And, you know, it ran concurrently to having had a mastectomy being told I was diagnosed with cancer, hitting my 34th birthday and just about to start chemotherapy. Jesus. Oh my I mean, one of, one of my questions was going to be like, when you're facing potentially a kind of life and death situation, how important yeah. is the kind of the idea of infertility? Does it, you know, it is just, it devastating I, it, or is it just kind of almost secondary? It's it's almost secondary, so so it becomes part of your cancer treatment rather than part of actually creating a family or a life. Mm-hmm. Um, I never went into it thinking that this was something brilliant and positive, and you know something that could be a part of my future. It was yeah. very much a, you have to do this. It's a form of treatment, um, and then you know as as we went through the the, the egg collection process and and the stimulation of and all the drugs. I was constantly sort of ping-ponging between am I am I crazy or is this wonderful because you know you'd have hope one day that that actually I'm going to survive cancer and this all of this hard work that I'm putting in terms of my IVF treatment is going to make me a mum and then the next day you'd be thinking I have a, a hormonally sensitive cancer I'm feeding mm-hmm. it with these syringes of drugs I'm putting inside of me and I'm mm-hmm. never even going to live to see this child because I'd probably kill myself in the process of oh, what gosh. I'm doing so it was That's just it, you know it's yeah and two of the biggest and hardest things you know you'll generally maybe go through in life cancer and infertility and to run them concurrently yeah I was gonna say like it's you know- anyone facing IVF it's like a really big thing and like possibly the biggest thing that lots of people go through and then for you to kind of that almost to be Mm. like a sideshow to an even bigger thing and then and then having like a time stamp on it like this got to be done within two weeks I mean fucking hell that's incredible that you handled it was it just like something that like almost tunnel vision like I've got to just get through this kind of thing without I think so and I think part of the um blessing was a level of naivety I guess because I hadn't been on an infertility journey up until that point so I didn't really know what IVF involved and I didn't know Mm. how successful or unsuccessful it could be it was just something we had to do so I guess all of that knowledge I now have wasn't there so I just I just did what I was told you know and Mm. and went through it but very much like I just I sometimes think you know a lot of couples come to come to a space of IVF treatment with hope you know thinking this is going to potentially be it when they first start off thinking this hopefully will give us our baby and we I never felt I rarely felt hopeful when it came to that process so you know Mm. now I can look back on it and think god thank god I did because ultimately I do have a child from that process but yeah you know she wasn't she wasn't Mm. born from this sort of mum and dad just desperately wanting a baby she was born from all that I can say is an insurance policy yeah good planning yeah 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 thankfully thankfully (laughs) sort of you know and I think you know it's important like you know oncologists in in this in 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 the space of cancer at the moment a lot of them are older men who just don't quite understand how important it is for young women to preserve their fertility or to have a route Mm -hmm. to motherhood you know to 
it just means so much and I think there's a lot of educating that needs to be done in that space that an oncologist doesn't say my job's not to create a life it's to you know to save a life because actually that has never left me since that day and you know thank god you know I'm strong-willed enough to have just pushed for what we what was important to me but there are some who don't and some who will take the oncologist's view as gospel and it's for them that I guess I do a lot of my advocacy work and we launched our own podcast because Mm -hmm. I want people to know that there are options to motherhood after cancer and you know it's it can be a beautiful thing. Yeah um, you know we often talk on this podcast about how we wish medics in this country would take a kind of more holistic view Mm. so they think about you know if you've got cancer what's the knock-on effect of that to the rest Mm. of your life so and it's just another example really isn't it? anyway I interrupted you (laughs) anyway so I yeah so that that's I guess where where we sort of first um first first found found myself on sort of the the fertility um treatment train and then um you know so I I went through that process we we ended up harvesting um 12 day one embryos and they were put in the freezer and literally within days I was back into world of oncology Mm -hmm. um ready to sort of start chemotherapy and I um went through that process which was as grueling as 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 you would expect it to be yeah uh came out the other side of that in 2014 and in 2015 went on to have sort of really um quite aggressive surgery in terms of uh, you know both my breasts were taken off and rebuilt using my own tissues and um that was at the back end of 2015 and um, into 2016 I recovered from that that's major surgery and then um went on holiday in 2016 to celebrate the end of life with cancer Mm-hmm. and um, very quickly landed in Vancouver and started to feel really sick and unwell and um, unable to catch my breath and uh, you know persistently coughing and um, we sought sort of medical help over you know over the course of a couple of days started sort of asking what I should do and ended up in the walk-in centre um, and a doctor referred me back to a general hospital and just said look we can't treat you here you need to go to a hospital it might be something quite serious we suggest you you know you get checked in and, and get someone to, to to look over you um so I did that went to one hospital who couldn't tell me what was going on went to the next hospital by which point I was in and out of consciousness um Jesus. couldn't really tell you what was going on too much um I sort of could see my husband in terms of a figure but couldn't really make out his features and couldn't breathe mm. God. And um, was put into a room. Yeah, was uh, popped into a room. Um, well, a bay on 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 an A and E ward, and um, given oxygen to which I didn't really respond. And you know, then then given some some more sort of uh, serious drugs and treatment, and had multiple teams come and visit me. Um, none of whom could diagnose what was wrong with me. And uh, it got to a point where they just said to my husband, "Look, she's a." she's acutely ill we can't seem to stabilize her we can't seem to saturate her blood oxygen levels um you know we're struggling here to know what's wrong with her and without knowing what's wrong with her we cannot treat her and at this moment in time we suggest you yeah we suggest you say your goodbyes because there's not much we can do at this point oh my god um and we were in canada thousands of miles away from home and um, they said, look, and if there's anyone from the UK that you think should come and visit her before, you know, the, the inevitable may happen, we suggest you call them now. Uh, so my husband did that and called my sister over. Um, and then a team, the final team that came to my bedside was a team of cardiologists. And uh, the guy said to me, look, I know you've been through the, you know, I know you've been through it a real rough couple of days and you can hardly speak. 
I just want you to squeeze my hand if the answer to my question that I'm about to pose is a yes. So he really gently just sort of knelt down and came to my ear and said, was your chemotherapy red in colour? And I squeezed his hand because I, I absolutely knew that, you, could, you know, even on my deathbed, I'll never forget the colour of my chemotherapy. And uh, at the same time, someone was scanning my heart. And it was as if at the moment I squeezed his hand, it was like a, um, a scene out of ER, you know, someone pressed a red button behind my bed and this alarm went off and to hunt, like, I've got a team of doctors ran into the room and they just sort of one of them just shouted she's in acute heart failure get her down oh to cardiac God. ICU now yeah and so the rails went up on the side of the bed and every sort of everything that was attached to me was sort of thrown onto the bed and literally we were held down the corridor and you know my husband was just sort of running up behind me Holy and uh, we got into ICU yeah we got into ICU and were then told that you know I was in heart failure um and it was a really severe situation my heart at the time was um working at around about six percent and um they just didn't really understand how I was still alive and how I was still coherent but I was I was still able to sort of roughly figure out what was going on and uh and and then later on that day a doctor came in a consultant and she just said Karina look we've done a lot of investigating and what we think has happened is that the chemotherapy you had in 2013 has slowly been damaging your heart it's a rare but real side effect of one of the drugs you had and you know unfortunately it seems to have happened to you and now you're in this really difficult position of heart failure acute heart failure and we can't just make it better because you can't just fix the heart muscle like that so um, we spent the next two weeks in ICU. Uh, we were told over and over that, that, that you know, we had to take each day as it came. And, 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 you know, there was no guarantee that I would live beyond the next 24 hours, 48 hours. But I did and, um, you know, sort of survived everything that they threw at me and, you know, slowly got onto the, the treatments that they gave me. And, um, you know, it's a really long story. And this is covered on loads of other podcasts in a lot more detail. But ultimately... <laughs> ended up um, having to stay in Vancouver for eight weeks um, until I could sort of get some sort of stability in my in my cardiac health and then um, after that time we were flown home to England with medical assistance and I could <laughs> we were moaning about you know England being a bit of a crappy place at the moment but at that point in time mm. I didn't want to be anywhere else oh my from God, here, I imagine. the UK mm. um, home and you know we we made it thankfully uh, got back home and and then got you know got into the care of a really good cardio oncologist who is someone who specializes in heart disease after cancer and you know together we sort of rehabbed ourselves and you know I was <clears throat> I left Vancouver in a wheelchair I couldn't really walk I couldn't stand um and over the period of a year probably I with medication and rehab and a heck of a lot of grit went from you know being in a wheelchair to walking and talking and running and doing the normal Gosh, things that I was doing pre-heart failure yes. <laughs> um but the consequence I guess that the major consequence of heart failure was that I would never be able to carry a pregnancy um mm. so so that that sort of full circled me back to my fertility journey um mm -hmm. As, as I sort of had navigated from between 2013 to 2016, I'd always checked in with my oncologist and said, look, is is, is pregnancy an option for me? And I was always told, mm -hmm. you know what, it's too high risk to come off your drugs to try and get pregnant yet. Not yet, not yet. So Because yeah, they kind of put you in menopause, right, before your exactly, treatment. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So after, after 2014, when my active treatment ended, I was put into a medical menopause yeah. and um, the estrogen supply in my body was turned off. 
Mm-hmm. I had no periods. So there was always that risk that if I came off my drugs, I would potentially, um, you know, introduce estrogen into my body again and then risk a recurrence of cancer. And then heart failure came and, you know, that 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 kind of just said, you know what, you're never going to be pregnant. You just need to say goodbye to that dream. And that must be so hard. So you've had you've had both your breasts removed. You've had the estrogen turned off and now you're told you can't be pregnant. I mean, as as a woman, as a woman, it's massive and just heartbreaking. Well, that's probably the right term to use. (laughs) Pardon the pun. But yeah, (laughs) absolutely is. And. You know, it's just, you know, you know, people say, you know, there's more to women, womanhood than your than your physical, you know, your breasts or your ability to have a baby. Of course there is. But yeah. actually you that's a massive part of you as a woman. Uh-huh. And, you know, mm. it's I was never booby, like I never loved my boobs, but I was quite yeah. thankful to have boobs, you know, mm, and yeah. like, you know, and like periods, you, you you know, you hate them when you can when you have them regularly every month. But when you mm. can't have them, you crave them because yeah. they just remind you of how wonderful our bodies are and and our body's ability to grow and nurture and create. And mm-hmm. you know, if someone takes that away from you overnight at the age of thirty three. It's hard. It's a Very really harsh hard reality. Um. Wow. So so I guess yeah, I'd kind of looked into surrogacy. Um, through the end of my sort of, well, through sort of 2014 and 2015, as sort of my oncologist was saying, it's unlikely you're going to get pregnant. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I just, I just want to be a mum, you know, I, I've got through this cancer treatment and I don't believe it's going to kill me. So I started looking yeah. into surrogacy and then when heart failure came knocking, you know, surrogacy had to be the only way I was ever going to be a mum. And, um, and thankfully sort of, I'd put a lot of work into sort of, looking for a surrogate and and um being present in the independent surrogacy community mm-hmm. what does that look like can I just ask so how do you how do you kind of start and have become part of that community is it on social media or yeah what is that yeah community? yeah Tell so us there's, more. I mean there's there's a couple of ways of you know in the UK of, of, of becoming a parent through surrogacy you go through an agency and agencies are set up you know various agencies do different things in terms of helping you match or introducing you to potential surrogates or you can do it independently which is what I did um initially I'd sort of gone down the agency route I think that's quite a natural thing for people to do yeah. think that yeah. they're a bit protected if they go through an agency um but so every time so we went to a couple of meet agency meetups and stuff and my husband and I just didn't like the vibe it, it was it was just wasn't for us at all okay and um, we're people of colour and we were grossly unrepresented, underrepresented yeah. mm-hmm. in, in those um, agency spaces. And I think on top of that, we were approaching a point at which agencies, a lot of the agencies were starting to close their books because their ratios were out. Um, so right. a, a lot of agencies will say, Do you know what, I'll only have like three sets of intended parents to one surrogate because I don't want to like oversaturate the, 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 mm-hmm. the sort of the market, I guess. Um and I didn't really like that because I'm like I just think from the beginning I was like this isn't about ratios and numbers it's about hearts connecting and like I don't like that I'm just gonna be you know told I can't join and might not meet one of their surrogates because I'm the wrong number in the queue like I want to be I want someone to know me for me not not the number I am on a wait list so um I I felt I stumbled upon independent surrogacy actually through um a girl I'd met on a breast cancer forum and she said look do you know what before you sign a check like 
just look at independent surrogacy because it's very much the same as what a lot of the agencies do. It's not going to cost you any money and you're not going to lose anything. Like you can always go back to the agency, but yeah. why don't you try doing it yourself? And and I am one of those people who quite likes, you know, just exploring and finding my own way and stuff. So, you know, I just said, okay, look, let me just give this a go. Like the other way doesn't seem to be working for us anyway. Mm-hmm. So that involved... Um, joining some sort of closed private Facebook groups where actually there are wonderful communities like of surrogates and intended parents and you know there are no ratios to worry about it's just you know it's just about getting into those communities getting people to to know you for who you are the journey you've been on and what brings Mm -hmm. you to to a place of surrogacy and you know more than that what makes you tick like who you are as a person aside from your disease or your illness or your infertility like yeah. who are you and how can you connect with someone who 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 gets on you know with you and who likes the same things you like and stuff like that so and so, if you if somebody wanted to find out more about those would you would could they message you yeah they can like so they can always message me on my instagram which is at Karina Demand. um okay. Or um, we've got basically our own podcast is called Mm -hmm. um, The Intended Parent. And that is an A to Z of how you start and end with independent surrogacy. So everything you need to know from joining forums to what etiquette is and what expenses are and what the law is. And that's brilliant. Everything. So anyone who's looking into surrogacy like that is for, for, for me and Fran, who's my co-host, we, we would like call that surrogacy for dummies if there was a book on the shelf. Because <laughs> yeah. it's literally yeah, we like, like to it. Basic, basic <laughs> Sounds <old>. good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Anything for dummies is good for us. <laughs> absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's gone down really well. And, you know, we've helped so many, so many people navigate their way through surrogacy. So super proud of that piece of work. How, how did you find your first surrogate? Tell us about the, the, the meat cute. Is that what you call it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it is really like dating. Um, and we, so I had joined sort of 2015. I think I'd joined the forums and been very active on it and, you know, constantly hearing from my husband, you spend too much time on your phone, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, do you know what? I'm actually doing some really good work here because I'm, <laughs> I'm making sure that people know me for me. Like, you know what? You know me. So you don't need to, you don't need my time right now. These people need to know me a bit better. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I worked really hard, I think, on, on those surrogacy pages in, in terms of making sure people had visibility of who we were and people knew mm. our story. And um, I met, you know, we met up with a couple of ladies who didn't turn out to be our surrogates. And that it's just for various reasons, you know, either their circumstances changed or we didn't quite click or, mm-hmm. you know, it just wasn't for us. And then um, we sort of rolled into 2016. And ironically, the first time I spoke to the wonderful woman who did end up being my surrogate was when I was in ICU in Vancouver really? um, yeah yeah she actually messaged me and she just said look I've been following you and reading your story and I just you know I think you're awesome and I just wondered if you wanted to chat more and I remember messaging her back going oh yeah there's so much going on in my life and she was a bit like yes yeah, it's, it's crazy and I was like no but seriously like right now I'm in intensive care <laughs> <laughs> she was so funny like she didn't actually care like she was like oh yeah well I hope you get you know I hope you get 
over this incident soon and you actually get to enjoy some of Vancouver and when you come back to England we can carry on talking some more and like she just didn't think I was going to cock it regardless of what yeah, the doctors were that must saying. have been quite Amazing. good it's like oh she doesn't think I'm yeah it was and I think without even realizing it she gave me so much hope like That's so great. much hope and, and also um, she's from Bath right yes I'm from yeah. Bath I know all I the best be people are they are. They really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, my daughter was born in Bath as well. So I'm massively biased. Oh, are you eight? Guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, sorry. Sorry. For that. Yeah. No. Bath anyway. So, so I started speaking to her in 2016, and then as I got back to England and got stronger, I just said to her, "Look, things things are progressing well. If you want to carry on talking, like, I don't think I'm going to die either. So like, I still want to be a mum." <laughs> 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 um, and so we did and you know we chatted more and then um I think it was the end of 2016 like my my best friends had said that let's get let's get away to like a really chilled out cottage break and we actually went to Bath for this cottage well just outside of Bath and she goes let's just go like and it was just me and my girlfriends you know just enjoying time with each other and then like it clicked to me that she was from Bath so I just messaged her and just go oh me and my friends are actually going into the city centre tomorrow if you're free do you want to meet up for a coffee and she's like oh I'm going anyway with my daughter so perfect let's catch up and so that was the first time we met and I think the different thing with Ina when I met her was that I think I knew from our very first conversation that this could go the distance um because her I don't know her humility was just something else like we walked mm. into this coffee shop and we were just talking and then she just said, look, one thing I need you to know is that if if we get on and if we match and, you know, if I ever was a surrogate for anyone, not you particularly, I wouldn't ever want to be put on a pedestal um, because I, you know, I strongly believe that I couldn't, well, I know that I couldn't do this without you or without an intended mother and that this is a two-way street, you know, like I want to carry a baby for someone, but to do that, I need someone who can't carry a baby. So we're we're a level playing field. And I just found that really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just thought like, and I say this all the time when people ask me questions, but I just think the intended mother um, so the person like me um, goes through so much trauma to get to a point of surrogacy. Like, you know, you yeah. you have to have suffered quite a lot of grief and yeah. hardship to end up in the world mm-hmm. of surrogacy as a heterosexual couple. And sometimes that intended mother's grief gets forgotten because what comes after is a pregnancy and a baby and the incredible thing that a surrogate has done for a family Um and that becomes the most apparent thing. Like even now people will say, oh my God, you know, what a wonderful woman to carry those babies for you. And absolutely surrogates are incredible human beings, but the resilience and the tenacity and the dignity of the intended mother who gives up everything that she's ever dreamt mm-hmm. of in terms of carrying a baby, seeing a pregnancy test turn positive, you know, her husband mm-hmm. feeling her baby kick inside her, like, all of that is sacrificed to go on a surrogacy journey. And I think that needs so much recognition. And it felt like in that moment, she recognized all of that trauma and pain that had preceded that meeting. And that's amazing. Yeah. And, 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 I, and, and I think from that minute, I thought, you know, I really want you to carry my baby because you're just awesome. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, she sounds incredible. So <laughs> she, is. she is. She's wonderful. Um. So yeah, then our partners met up and, you know, we got to know each other more and we took our time. I think we got, it was, 
it was a probably a nearly a whole year between sort of our very first conversation and then arriving at fertility uh, a fertility clinic for embryo transfer right. um so we took our time and we were both first timers so we didn't want to rush it and we wanted to get everything right so so we, we we got to know each other we went through sort of surrogacy agreements to make sure we were all on the same page and that you know there weren't any clangers that would sort of mean that actually this was a really bad match so you know mm. um again you'll you'll hear more if you listen to our podcast but you'll go through <laughs> things like an agreement which to discuss things that actually husband and wife or you know male and female probably don't talk about before they try and have a baby yeah um like you know what what you're going to do if if there's a miscarriage at any point in time mm. what you're going to do if there's a stillbirth at any point in time what you're going to oh do God. if either of the parents die before the baby's born um God, yeah. you know so many things to consider yeah. yeah what would happen to a surrogate's family if the surrogate was to die during childbirth like oh my god you just have to talk about all these things and so mm. it's really important that the relationship is super strong and that there's honesty through every aspect of your conversation you know yeah. this isn't something that you can you can just sort of um sail or sail through without having some awkward and complex conversations so we took a lot of time to make sure we were all aligned on all of that and fortunately we were and and then in um the summer of 2017 we decided to go for an embryo transfer with Ina so the embryos that we'd created in 2013 pre-cancer were shipped to our fertility clinic mm -hmm. um, and I think that's quite an important thing for people to know that not all clinics will have a surrogacy license um, and a lot of NHS clinics won't have a surrogacy license so I don't think I knew that yeah yeah, yeah I didn't know that until the time <laughs> came but um yeah you have to you have to find a clinic that has a license for surrogacy. So we found one and, and transferred our embryos over to there and then um, thawed all of, we, I think we had 12 on ice, thawed them all um, and took them to day five and had four or five uh, decent quality embryos, but one really strong sort of blastocyst that was picked out for transfer. And uh, we transferred that into Ina. And then she obviously went home to her house and my husband and I had booked like a long weekend away just to sort of, we just had to get out of the country because we were like, we're going to go mad. Yeah. We sort of just sitting here thinking, you know, are we going to be parents and all of what's gone on? So we left We left for a few days and then came back to England on uh, sort of the Monday and I'd been calling into the clinic because our plan was that we we had obviously transferred one embryo into Ina and the rest were going to be refrozen for a potential second journey or like, you know, if this failed, we would have a backup plan. And on the sort of Monday, I didn't hear from the clinic and hadn't heard from them um, despite sort of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday rolling past. And then on Tuesday, I finally got through to them. And I just said, look, it's Mrs. Demand. I'm just calling because, you know, on Thursday we had this transfer and you were meant to call me on Thursday night about the embryos going back in the freezer and just need to know what's happening. Yeah. And um, the embryologist just sort of went on hold for a minute and then she came back and she goes, oh, uh, Mrs. Deman, I think you're you might be confused. And I said, about what? She goes, oh, uh, there was no that none of your material was preserved. It all was your left material. to perish. And what? Was, oh gosh. Yeah. So basically, the four or so embryos that we thought would go back in the freezer weren't refrozen, and we what weren't advised that they weren't yeah and they didn't they didn't think to tell you no and they did they, they they actually they just allowed them to perish 
um, rather than ask us if we wanted to refreeze them, regardless of the grading and whatever else was going on with them. So we were heartbroken at that point in time. And like, you know, everyone, you, often people talk about grief when it comes to a story of pregnancy or, for, you know, early miscarriage and stuff like that but I think there's a real conversation to be had for sort of embryo loss because yeah, for me yeah. Yeah. those embryos were my like they were, they were my life yeah absolutely they were my unborn children you know they were the things mm. that gave me hope after you know after when I was sort of going through cancer treatment and stuff I always just thought if I make it I've got those like maybe babies there you know and yeah the day we found out that they were gone I remember I was at home on my own and I was in the hallway and I literally fell to the ground and just cried and cried and cried thinking how could you just throw them away like that's there are babies that I've been dreaming about for for Mm -hmm. years now and we didn't know at this point if Ina was pregnant either so we didn't know if the transfer had worked and I remember my husband just trying to console me saying it'll be okay don't worry don't worry we'll find out a way and my team had all told me that I wouldn't be able to harvest eggs again and I remember turning around to my husband and just going, it's all right for you to say that because you you can you can bash one out and have a genetic child now. I can't. Like, if, if this doesn't work, that's it. I'm done. And that was sort of like the fear and the resent and all sorts of stuff that was just going around in my head. And a lot of it's frustration, at, yeah. you know, at, at arriving at this point thinking, I didn't sign up for this. Like, this is not yeah. on my, like, this was never on my five-year plan, you know. Like, how no. did it come to this? And then, you know, we had to park that and I phoned Dina and I told her what happened and she was just so angry and she just said, how could they do that, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think at that, at that moment that she heard that news, the pressure on her must have been off oh the scale God, in terms of... Enormous, yeah. Yeah, like it's a, it's a big deal to try and get pregnant for anyone, but then to try and get ensure that this embryo sticks, you know, when that's the only, only embryo that was left... God, I could, you know, yeah. what she must have had to deal with. But, she, you know, the amazing woman that she is picked herself up and, you know, she she then, we'd always had this agreement that we weren't going to pee on sticks, which I now realise is the most ridiculous thing to say to a pregnant woman. But <laughs> um, she, she raised, I said to her, Ina, don't do it. Just wait. We've got day 10 bloods. Yeah. Let's just wait for that. And uh, behind the scenes, she was obviously peeing on sticks. And she was just, <laughs> every now and again, she'd be like, I feel pregnant, Karina, I feel pregnant. And I was like, Ina, how can you feel pregnant for like five days after the transfer? Like, obviously, I don't have a clue about this, but she was she was peeing on sticks. And then every now and again, she'd send me photos that I refused to download over WhatsApp because I just didn't want to believe her feeling pregnant was actually a thing. Yeah. Um, and then after her sending like a, a quite a few, I was like, oh, I'm just going to download them. I'm just going to download them. And one of them I decided to download in Wix with my husband standing next to me. And he was like, do not talk to me about this. Like, yeah, Wix, Wix, Wix the DIY store. And he's like, I don't care what you and Ina talk about. I do not want to be a part of it. We've said day 10 blood test. That's all we're going to go for. I'm I'm going to wait it out. And you two, just, if you're talking, just don't include me in the conversation. So then we were standing in Wix and this picture comes up on my phone and it was a very clear, positive pregnancy oh test. My God. And oh, wow. honestly, like, I can't remember if I was buying a light bulb or a screwdriver or whatever crap I was going to say, buying. were you in like the MDF aisle? Were you... <laughs> yeah, we were at the checkout, actually. We were at the checkout and like, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm looking at Sati and he's looking at me like, who are you talking to? I said, it's Ina, it's Ina. And he's looking at me and he's like, 
don't talk to me and I've told you I don't want to know I don't want to know and like so he won't even look at the picture on my phone that I'm trying to show him (laughs) and I was like oh my god is this how you celebrate finding out you're potentially pregnant by your husband refusing to look at the picture like what is going on it sounds quite classic sounds like a classic yeah probably yeah so Mm -hmm. so like we got through that day and the next day like so Ina then knew that I had seen this picture and like I was starting to get excited and then the next day she did a clear blue test and I like like I'd never seen a, a, a digital pregnancy test I didn't know what it looked like I didn't know what it would tell you so she must have peed on the stick and recorded the whole thing I think she had to mm. do it twice because she dropped it down the toilet the first time and then, and then, yeah, she sent me this video and I watched it and I was like, oh, my God, it says the word pregnant. Like, somehow that means more than two lines. <laughs> I, I, like, I was like, shit, it's telling me I am pregnant. Like, we're going to oh have a baby. God. And then it says, like, and then afterwards it gives, like, two to three weeks. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my, f- like, could this be happening? And I was at home on my own and I was like, oh, my God, he's got to believe me now. Like, he's got to believe me. But... He still didn't want to know. <laughs> the next day we were in the clinic for our day 10 bloods. And, uh, and I said to Ina, like, obviously this is just for us by now. Like we, we, me and her were like, oh my God, this is really happening. And the bloods were just sort of the, the confirmation or sort of the, the, the crossing of the T. Um, so we went along and, 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 you know, we thought, yeah, they said they did a blood test and then we got the results and they said she's pregnant and, you know, uh, everything's looking brilliant and would repeat the bloods tomorrow to check her hormone levels and so far so good. And I just couldn't believe our luck. Like yeah. I couldn't believe that after, yeah, like after everything that we'd been through that we'd actually get pregnant the first time round and that would be our only embryo and it would take Mm. and we'd get this positive pregnancy result and oh it was just mind-blowing so that day after the blood results were in I went home and I put together a little box for my husband to sort of break the news to him and I printed out a picture of the clear blue test and I'd put him gone to town and bought a little sleep sack that just said you know an adventure is about to begin and popped it in a box and just you know a couple of little tokens yeah and I think part of that is like as a woman I was trying to compensate for what I couldn't Mm. do in terms of like you know naturally get well getting pregnant in any way myself or you know I just wanted to do something to mark that Mm. moment in in a different way to what we'd expected but something that was equally special mm-hmm. so we did that and you know I gave him this box and then of course there were loads of tears and mm-hmm. you know it was beautiful and the rest of that sort of journey went out played out and you know we we went to the next scan so Ina and I went to a six-week scan and we saw the heartbeat and I, we were both blown away because she'd never had an early scan obviously I'd never had a scan and we just saw this little light flickering on the screen and oh my God, like I just couldn't believe it. And even now, like I just, that video is like the most played video on my phone. And sometimes I just go back and just watch it and like listen to my voice and her voice and just think, geez, like we made that baby. We did that together. Um, Mm. So our pregnancy progressed and then, 
you know, we spent a lot of time together and we watched Amala grow inside Ina and we had lots of scans and it was just wonderful. And um, in April of 2018, Ina went into labour. We'd moved up to a little cottage just outside Bath to be near her in case she went into into labour and, you know, we didn't want to have to drive two and a half hours up. So yeah. we were close by. Um, and then, you know, after a quite a complex um, start to her delivery, we ended up in theatre. Um, Amala was a bit dry, so they were saying that she would either have to be C-sectioned out or forcepted out. Um, and at the time, sort of, Ina and I always had said in our agreements that if ever we had to go to theatre, it would be Ina and myself who would go in. Um, but yeah. sort of at that point, we'd been through a lot um, and Ina was struggling. And I just said to her, look, you don't need me. You need your partner. You know, I'll, I'll wait outside. You know, you need support right now. It's not about me. And so her partner got ready to go. And then a midwife sort of looked at me and obviously was like, God, you're the mom. You need to be there. So she mm. went and spoke to a consultant who just said, yeah, let her in. Let, you know, let two, let, oh, wow. let two people go into theatre um, and dad can wait in um into in the um recovery room so the three of us Ina myself and her partner went into theatre and I could see I could see Sati on the other side of recovery just crying like by the curtain just crying and luckily one of the yeah luckily one of the midwives um who had been with us for a couple of days um by this point saw him and she just went she went up to the consultant she goes like that's not right dad's look at him he's over there and the consultant was like oh just get him in just get him in come on (laughs) let's get everyone in so that's great it was amazing. He got scrubbed up and like within two minutes he was in scrubs and sat next to me. And that moment before Amala was born was just perfection. Like Ina was there, her partner was there, myself and Sati, the four people who had worked to bring this baby to life. Because it's not about just a woman, like an intended mother and a surrogate. It's about the whole support network. And yeah. we were all there. And then Amala came into the world and, you know, they lifted her up and we saw she was a little girl and like I could replay that moment over and over in my head mm-hmm. and, you know, never get tired of it because, you know, at that moment I became a mum for the very first time against all odds and this incredible woman in front of me had delivered this beautiful, beautiful baby girl for me and, oh, God, it's just the thing of dreams, really. Nothing nothing short of that. But that's not the end of your story, right? It's not the end of my story, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> There's another twist. There's a very yeah. There's, there's a couple twist. more twists. So yes, yeah, so obviously you know Amala Amala is now a beautiful three year old and she's wonderful. But I think when from 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 early on in her journey, we decided we wanted a second child. Um, we knew it would be quite difficult because I wasn't able to collect eggs again. So we knew we'd look for um, a donor egg, and like that that wasn't a decision we came to overnight. I, you know, I personally had to do a lot of work on that thinking, you know, how will I mother a child that's genetically mine and then another that's not genetically mine. And like, just wanted to make sure I was comfortable with that decision. And I come, like I said, from the South Asian community where people don't really do this, like, you know, Mm -hmm. surrogacy was a big thing in my community. And then to then go for donation, that's a massive thing. Um, but but we decided that's what we were going to do. And then, you know, in the UK, we really struggled to find anywhere that had any sort of donor agencies that had donors of colour. Yeah, was which is a common was, problem, right? Yeah, no, like minorities are just, we're just not there yet in terms mm-hmm. of the, helping other people create families. Um, so mm. after a long search, I ended up choosing to go overseas 
um, and actually choosing no neg donation. And that was sort of a decision I came to for two reasons. One, because I wasn't going to carry this child. Um, I kind of wanted to have a connection of some sort to the woman who gave me the egg for that child. I just wanted to meet her and say to her, like, you know, I'm not going to carry this egg that you're going to give us. Someone else is going to do that. But this is my family mm. you're creating. And and I just want you to know that this means the world to me. And like, you know, I don't take what you're doing for granted at all. And I wanted to be able to then tell my children that, you know, I know, I know you're not my genetics, but I met the woman who, who is your genetics and she was wonderful. Mm. And, you know, we spent this time before, before you were conceived, we, we spent time together and stuff. And yeah. so, so we chose that. So we did no egg donation which meant um, we traveled to Cyprus for our, uh, okay. for our treatment and we flew a donor in from South Africa. So okay. she came from South Africa. We flew from England. She harvest, We harvested her eggs, fertilized with my husband and put them in the freezer in Cyprus. And the hope was that Ina would go again um, and carry for us. But, but Ina had a change in circumstance quite soon after that collection and and embryo freezing process right. and she would she she sort of wasn't able to to carry for us again and I had to mm. go out and find God. another surrogate which I mean was that's really daunting and not know. an easy job right no and especially because we'd spent so long thinking that we were we were matched so I hadn't sort mm. of really contemplated what it would be to go and find a surrogate again and I'd created yeah. this really romantic notion that my two children would come from this you know would be carried by the same woman and stuff so it was it was difficult but you know at the end of the day I wanted motherhood more than more than anything and so went out and and did that and fortunately by that time like you know the surrogacy community the independent surrogacy community is honestly beautiful and I love it to bits and the work that we'd done on our podcast and the advocacy that we'd been done we'd been doing and I'd been doing I think sort of stood me in really good stead within the community and like a lot of my surrogate friends were then sort of pimping me out almost to surrogates who were new to the scene like if you are looking for some IPs you know like these guys are (laughs) yeah yeah like and it's just lovely to sort of have that and so I actually ended up meeting Laura our second surrogate through a, a through a friend who is a surrogate um and who really supported me in my first journey. And Laura was was a good mm. friend of hers. And we got on very quickly, very well, because we had this mutual friend. And I think trust builds a lot easier when someone mm. you trust has introduced you. And, you know, we, we were both sort of not novices. And, you know, we, we started talking in October, um, September, October of 2019. And by January, we were matched. And by February, um, we were on a plane to Cyprus, going for embryo transfer and you know that wasn't our plan like our plan I had planned to sort of once we matched I said to her let's go in let's go in April and the weather will be nice and it'll be a much nicer flight and she just said can we go earlier because I don't really want to be pregnant heavily pregnant at Christmas time so I was like okay that's like you want to go in four weeks but yeah okay we can make that work like if we need to and we moved mountains to to do that but Thank God we did because you know if we good didn't job, go out in February, say. we would never have gone out because of the pandemic. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We wouldn't. It wouldn't have ever happened. Um, so we went out and um, yeah, we had this conversation with the uh, with the consultant, and he and and he and we talked about embryos and, and what we were doing in terms of transfer. And 
um, you know, I said, how many would you recommend we transfer? And he said, well, I recommend you transfer two because if you re- if you transferred one at this point in time, my advice, my guidance would be you've got a sixty percent chance of a singleton pregnancy, forty percent chance of no pregnancy. If you transfer two, you probably got an eighty percent chance of a singleton pregnancy and a twenty percent chance of a twin pregnancy. And wow. we were all happy to take that twenty percent. Yeah. Um, you know twin pregnancy chance like that was absolutely fine we we discussed it mm-hmm. so we went with two and then we came home to England a couple of days later and uh, Laura sort of said to me well, so what is it you want to see in terms of pregnancy tests like what 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 is it and we knew that we wouldn't have that same sort of go and get the bloods done um scenario together because it just logistically wasn't possible and, and there were mumblings of COVID going on okay um mm. so I just said look if if you get a test that looks like I think a digital test like with Amala that was the one that really sealed it for me so if you know when you get to that point uh, where where, where, where we're sort of seven or eight days post transfer and you want to do a clear blue but digital that's fine and she was like okay cool and then literally within two days she sends me some photos I was at my mum's and she sent me some photos and she goes I'm just going to send you the holiday snaps and you know take a look at your leisure and I thought, okay, cool. So I made my mum and I a cup of tea. My mum didn't know we'd been to Cyprus. We sort of wanted to do this totally on our own. So we'd been and come back without anyone knowing. And then I went through these photos and it was like Laura and I on the beach, Laura and I in the apartment, you know, going to the Mm -hmm. clinic. And then the very last picture was a positive clear blue pregnancy test. Oh my God. What is it with these people sneaking up photos on you? honestly like these sneaky sneaky pictures <laughs> and then, like I didn't tell my mum no and I didn't want to tell my mum because like Satya and I wanted to be you know us to know first and for the pregnancy to progress to a point before we started sharing it with people so I just was sat there like the Cheshire cat like the cat who's got the cream mm-hmm. thinking oh my god <laughs> my mum's gonna wonder what's going on here but she was fine and then I went home and I created another one of these surprise boxes and I bought a letterboard and just wrote on it you know big sister duty begins November 2020 and when Saturday came home from work um Amala was holding this letterboard and he was just like no it can't be we can't have you know we can't have lucked out again and got pregnant first Mm. time and I was like no we have we have and you know and I don't take that it though you deserve that (sighs) Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I don't take it for granted. You know, I know how lucky and how fortunate we were, and it doesn't play out that way for everyone. But listen, no one is begrudging you that. Yeah, but wait, we haven't <laughs> had the twist yet. And then yes, so basically, um, got to you know, got to sort of um a point. Uh, I think it was five or six weeks, and Laura was in hospital for her early scan. She had a few few pains and niggles, so she wanted to get okay. checked out. And you were like, "Is it twins or is it singleton?" Well, no, we actually were worried it was ectopic. Oh, okay. So actually, we were really afraid that we'd like have to lose, you know, that actually we weren't pregnant Mm. because we Mm. were so scared that something had gone wrong. So she went to this scan and I just thought, oh, God, I hope it's okay. I hope it's okay. And then she phones Mm. me and says, oh, uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just working. And she goes, are you sitting down? And I thought, oh, God, she's going to tell me it's bad news. She's going to tell me it's bad news. And then she goes, don't swear. I'm going to tell you something. Don't swear. And I was like, oh god okay and then I was like go on then just say it and then she goes you're having triplets and I was like what the <laughs> fuck and she was like I told you not to swear and I was like how what can you tell me fuck? not to swear when you just told me I'm having triplets <laughs> my family's about to quadruple in size <laughs> like I, I can't actually understand what the hell is just like that wasn't in the 80-20 he spoke about there was never a triple no. percentage <laughs> 
There was no statistic for that. There definitely wasn't. But uh, but that's that's what it was. And then, you know, we found out at six weeks that we were having triplets. <laughs> so I, I like I when Sati came home that day from work, I put a little thing on the board saying, you know, uh, congratulations, it's a demand party of six. And he read it and you could just see the maths like six. <laughs> that, there's three babies. Triplets. It's <laughs> like uh-huh. And he's like, no, you're lying to me. And I was like, no, 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 I'm serious. And I think initially, like, when someone tells you having triplets, like, the fear of God goes through you because you yes. think, how the hell am I going to cope with this? And, you know, I think Laura was quite afraid that we would ask her to reduce that pregnancy because actually academically on paper, we thought yeah. twins was the maximum we could deal with. Yeah. Um, mm. But, the you know, the moment we, Satya and I both found out it was triplets, there was never any doubting that we would, we would we would go the distance you know we were never going to interfere with what those babies wanted to do and if they chose us for their parents then that is exactly who we would be for them and she was okay with carrying them she was oh she she wanted to carry them so badly and you know her team her medical team kept telling her to reduce the pregnancy because it was so high risk yeah she was like I'm not reducing this like I don't want to reduce it the parents don't want to reduce it so we're not reducing it and she ended up changing teams to make sure she had a supportive team around her and we always had a you know you know we were very um aware that it was a high-risk pregnancy and we none of us were sort of rose-tinted glasses we knew that there was always a risk that we might lose a baby somewhere along the line or you know someone might not make it and and we Mm -hmm. we always said you know if that happens we deal with it like if we lose one of these three we deal with it together um Mm -hmm. and we went through the pregnancy and you know we're, we're in this covid world so there was very little contact between us sort of physical contact um that must have been hard yeah very hard very hard and you know like I was reading all of the stuff that was going around online about partners not being allowed to scans and you know missing out on those special moments and I was just sitting here thinking what about the intended mother who doesn't get Mm -hmm. to go to her own baby scan and what about the fact that actually these parents never feel or see that baby until the day it's born because it doesn't come home with them like you know Mm -hmm. like yeah a partner might not get to go to a scan but when that wife or that partner you know, or the other or the other half of, you know, the couple comes home, at least you can feel their tummy or you can feel a baby kick or, you know, mm. that baby's there. But for us, it was like this baby's, you know, 100 miles away and we don't we don't have any contact with it. Um, and then at the 20 week scan, I did go Um, we'd okay. sort of Laura had um, arranged it with the hospital and just said, look, you have to let her in. She's the mum. And so I went to the 20 week scan and, you know, it it was incredible but it actually highlighted to me how much I'd not been able to do this myself and um I didn't really feel that with Amala because I felt very um involved in the whole pregnancy but with the triplets because we weren't there much and because there were three of them and Mm. Laura was scanned every two weeks she knew everything about them you know she knew which baby was where and where the head was and where the legs were and I was a bit like Rachel and friends you know when you look at the screen and I was just like I I don't know what I'm looking at (laughs) I just do not know what I'm looking at. There's a lot of people in there. They're probably quite tangled up, I imagine. A lot of tangled up limbs and, (laughs) um, and, and, you know, the sonographer, you know, I think this is another thing, like the sonographer will typically just speak to the person who's pregnant and just say, look, here's a leg and here's an arm. And you're very much on the outside as, and I felt that Mm. as an intended mother, just sort of trying to figure it out, you know, and, and that's not through anyone's fault. Like, you know, Laura absolutely was keeping me involved, but it just highlighted what I hadn't done for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so, you know, so that was sort of bittersweet that, that scan. And then we arranged one more private scan for Sati to see the babies, um, 
before they were born because we just thought god you know like we're getting to 24 weeks and we we just need him to see them because if they come at any point after this you know he would never have seen them inside her so we did one more scan um, and we took my daughter Amala with us to that one and she was the cutest Aww. and just kept saying oh my babies are in lawless tummy my babies are in lawless tummy and Aww, you know so I'm, re- I'm actually really proud of that yeah because yeah. I think mm. um, it's really important to sort of raise a generation who don't think it's unusual for someone else to carry a child if that's Absolutely. what's needed yeah um, so she's you know she's really familiar and she'll say oh yeah Marla was in Ina's tummy and my brothers were in Lawless tummy and mummy's tummy was broken but now it's better and like <laughs> she just needs to think that everything's better so she thinks okay. it's better yeah um oh yeah of course but uh, <laughs> yeah so that so that happened and then at 30 weeks um Laura went into natural labor and uh, she phoned me and she just said, Karina, the babies are coming. It was three o'clock in the morning on Sunday, the 20, God, nearly got the date wrong, 23rd of August. And uh, yeah, we like Satya and I whizzed up the motorway, got to the hospital and just said to the lady at the foyer, like, you know, we're, um, we're the parents of the triplets that are about, that have been born by surrogacy. And the woman just said, who? And I said, we said, we're the parents. And she just couldn't, I don't know, she was either, she was either being obtuse or being, dumb yeah. and just said you know that's our baby our surrogates giving birth to our babies and she just looked at me mm. and she just went have you been covid tested and i said no it's a spontaneous labor did you ask the woman giving birth if she's been covid tested like oh seriously and she just said well you can't go any further because you've not been covid tested and i said she hasn't been covid tested like every other woman who's having a child here hasn't been covid tested like you, you can't not let me in and she said, no, you can't go any further because you're, you're, you know, you're clearly not giving birth and you haven't had a COVID test. Jesus. Fucking COVID. Yeah. And she said the same to Satin. I mean, he's, he was, we were just a bit gobsmacked. And then like I said to her, look, rather than argue, like, you know, I'm, I've got a phlebotomist coming. I, we planned to ha- harvest stem cells. So I said, you know, they just need to know where they're coming. She's COVID tested. Tell me where she needs to go. And she goes, oh, I don't understand why you would need a phlebotomist. I said, because we're harvesting stem cells from either the umbilical cord or the placenta. And then she goes, it's not available. The placenta is not available. And I said, well, we use the umbilical cord then. And she goes, that's not available. And I looked at her what? and she's like, what are you talking about? And then like, it was a bit like the cogs turning in my head. And I looked at her and I said, where's the placenta? Is it not with Laura? And she goes, no. I said, so if the placenta is not with Laura, are you telling me the babies are here already? And she looked at me and she goes, did you not know that? And that's oh how we God. found out that the babies were born. Oh my God. Having this argument with this woman oh in the foyer. Yeah, so bitch. Yeah, so we both broke down in tears and just sort of thought we're bawling our eyes out. And I just said to her, like, did they all make it? That you know, we knew it was thirty weeks. I said, are they all okay? And she just goes, I can't tell you anything. I shouldn't have even told you that they were born. And um, I just said, look, I've got my birth plan here. I am the, you know, we are the parents of these children. And then she goes, you can't do anything until your COVID test is. So I said, well, can you swab us now? And it was like 6.30 in the morning. She goes, oh, we're quite busy. Could you come back at 11? I was like, I've just oh driven God. two hours up the motorway. And you're too busy to swab me. And she goes, uh, tell you what, there's a McDonald's down the road. Why don't you go there, have a coffee and come back at 11 and I'll do your swab then. And I just thought, would you tell any other brand new parents to premature triplets to go to McDonald's and have a coffee because you haven't got time to swab them? You know, it was just ridiculous. So eventually sort of we left that foyer unswabbed and then, you know, various things happened and we sort of ended up getting swabbed by sort of, I think it was about eight, nine in the morning, they swabbed us. And um, 
then they still said though we're not letting you in until these results come back and that's going to take between six to eight hours and I just thought and in between one nurse had come up to us and said just want you to let you know that all three of your babies survived and and they're in the neonatal unit so we knew that the Mm -hmm. boys well we didn't know they were boys we knew the babies were in the neonatal unit we knew that Laura was resting up and you know she'd had an emergency c-section but she was doing okay um and then we had nothing to do apart from wait for these results so we just got in the car and drove back down the motorway home and then saw Amala and after an hour or so drove back in the motor went back in the car up the motorway um to go back to Northampton once the results were in and it was 12 hours sort of from the point at which we first arrived to the point at which we got to go in and see Laura and the boys um and we went to Laura's bedside first to check how she was and for her to tell us, you know, what happened. And, you know, let's not forget that this incredible woman had had to give birth to mm. triplets on her own mm-hmm. because no one was allowed to go in with her, which was just disgusting. Wow. And, um, you know, she was she was OK, but she had no one. And I just thought, God, that's so cruel. We were, I was literally outside the door and, and, and I wasn't able to be with you, you know the mother I'm the mother of those children and you birthed them and I wasn't allowed to be with you um and then you know she told me and Sati that we had three sons we couldn't believe it like we just could not believe it and we cried some more and then we went up to the neonatal unit and just walked into this room where the boys were and that we were quite fortunate in that because uh COVID had sort of restrictions on the number of babies allowed in a room and this 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 room had a maximum of two babies um from separate households could be in this room but obviously we had three babies from one household so we had one room to ourselves and we just yeah we just walked into that room and just split up you know Satya went to one side I went to the other side and just just Mm. drank in these three tiny tiny little human beings who were our tiny little boys they were so fragile and god we were so afraid to pick them up but you know over time we, we we sort of did learn to sort of look after them and to pick them up and to feed them and to change their nappies and you know I think you know when you get over sort of how how uh, frustratingly annoying that sort of initial period of getting to them was once we got in there we were treated as their parents and then no one else you know no one treated us Mm. as anything else and we were the most important things when it came to their care and the most important people in their lives and actually they ended up being in neonatal for eight weeks um, from from the day they arrived to the day they were discharged. And for me, I like to look at that as a as an extension of a pregnancy that I yeah. was allowed to be a part of. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's absolutely. how I see like those perspex boxes were just like a womb mm-hmm. and someone else's womb. But I was able to go in and feed them and hold them and they could get to know me. And actually, it was brilliant because then when they came home, we were the only people they knew as their parents. And yeah. And it was magical, but God, it was really hard to get there. <laughs> and, you know, mm. the whole journey was just so difficult and so full of emotion and, oh, adversity, you know, every turning there was something Absolutely. going on. But, but we made it. And, you know, look, I sit here today, like, you know, mum of one, three year old. Four. Yeah. Karina. Yes. I, I mean, we could keep talking to you forever because this is, I mean, <laughs> the most unbelievable story but thank you so much for sharing your story thank you for having me okay hey guys welcome back welcome back for the next minute or so yes everybody hope you enjoyed the show yeah 
um yeah i also hope that you enjoyed it what a story karina has yeah she's incredible yeah um who are we talking to next week gabriella we're speaking to annabelle wyatt aka Maybehood from instagram mm-hmm. aka mother of the tilda beast <laughs> a famous cat <laughs> Um, another classic BFN digression. Yes, and we're not just talking to her about her famous cat, no, although we do not. talk about her famous cat. Mm, yes. And we're also talking about her state of maybehood, which is an interesting word. I think it's quite a good one. It's a great word. It's um, and what what childlessness, not by choice, means to her. Mm-hmm. Whether she even defines herself as that. Mm. Um, and yeah. It was, uh, it was quite an emotional chat. It's quite it? an emotional one, yeah. 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 Um, get to see the back of the throat again. Yeah. And, but also, she's lovely. And she swears a lot, which is always a good thing in my book. <laughs> so, big tick from Gabby. <laughs> or Jizzy G, as we're now calling me. <laughs> big tick from Jizzy G. <laughs> right. i got to trademark that as quickly as possible, right? So... <laughs> someone else gets it it's going to be a good one so make sure you tune in and um until then have a a fantastic week yeah see you later catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.